Would you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 15? Uh, We're going to be looking at verses 14 and following as we are nearing the end of our study in this book of Romans. And I hope that it's been an encouragement to you, uh, our time that we have been spending studying this amazing epistle of Paul. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I just want to say that... uh, you know, this is not going to be a missions message that looks at all of what God's doing in the world. That's a pretty big subject. Uh, instead, what I want to talk about this morning is really helping us to discover or find what it is that God wants us to do in terms of joining with Him in the work that He is doing in the world. So I really want us to think about what's our role, what is our part, how do we discover that as individuals. I'd like to read for us verses 14 through 21, and then we'll continue from there. Paul writes, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Let's pray. Father, as we continue to work our way through this part of your word, your scriptures, may you give us understanding to see how each one of us individually have a role to play in your kingdom, in the work that you are doing in our generation, in our community, and in our world. And I pray that you would help us to join you in that work. Amen. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to meet with our high school seniors. And that particular night, one of the things I talked to them about was this idea of finding our sweet spot. Finding out what it is that we are good at, how God has gifted us and wired us, and then using those gifts and abilities fully for the Lord. The idea of a sweet spot is really a term that comes from athletics, and uh, those of you that have been involved in that understand what I mean. You know, like when a golfer goes out on the golf course and he's going to take a swing at that ball, if he hits it off the toe or the shank, it's not going to feel very good, and it's not going to go the direction that he wants it to go. But if you hit that ball in what is called the sweet spot on the club, that is that kind of center of the club head, that ball is going to travel well, and it's going to feel very good when you strike it. In fact, it's amazing the difference that that makes, and that's part of the addictive quality of golf is that every now and then you hit a ball good and you think, I ought to be able to do this more often. But it's not always as easy as it seems. 
In that same way, there are times in our life where we really can feel like, boy, this is, this is what I was made to do, or this, is, this feels really good in terms of using my gifts and passions. And what I challenge those students, or the question I posed to them that night, and that I would ask you as well, is what if you could find that sweet spot in life where you knew you were doing what God wanted you to do? I mean, what if you could find that spot where you felt like your gifts and your abilities were being used by God in a way that was just right where He wanted you to be? I mean, wouldn't that be sweet? Wouldn't that be great? And I think about, you know, young adults especially because you got your whole life here. And that age of 20-something, there are so many significant decisions that are made at that time. I mean, you're trying to figure out sometimes, you know, where you're going to go to school or what you're going to major in or study or what trade you're going to learn. You're trying to figure out, you know, what are you going to do with the rest of your life and are you going to get married and where are you going to live and, you know, are you going to start a family? And all of those decisions come often in the 20-somethings. And yet it's sad that many times that age group, that's the lowest attendance in church or involvement. And, and here you are making those major decisions. And what I ask those students is, you know, don't you think that God has something to say about that? And don't you think that the God who created you understands how you are made and that He really wants His best for you and could guide you and direct you in making those kind of important life decisions? Yeah, He can. He can, and He does care. And when I talk about discovering that sweet spot in our life, I'm not saying that that means life is going to be free from struggles or difficulties. No, not at all. There are challenges that come living in this world, and there will be struggles along the way. But there's a difference when you know that you are doing exactly what God wants you to do. A few years ago, we heard, uh, Gail and I heard Donald Jackson. He's a calligrapher to the Queen of England. And he was talking about this project that he's been working on for the past decade of the St. John's Bible. Doing a handwritten copy, a calligraphied copy of the Bible. Hadn't been done in, I think it was about 500 years in this first time in a long time. And after he had completed the first uh, set of uh, books that they were going to do, and he was working on that. Uh, he spoke about that experience, and he said, "You know, I feel like this is what I was made to do. I feel like all of my life has been preparation for this point. That this is what I was made to do. Uh, isn't that? Isn't that? Wouldn't that be sweet in our own life in that sense to know again that what we were doing was really what God had fashioned us for?" That was the Apostle Paul's privilege and joy in ministry. And I believe that it can be our experience too if we will commit ourselves to Christ and ask Him to guide us and direct us. What Paul shares in these verses is very personal. And so we have to be careful about some of the applications we make. I don't think we should make applications that can't be supported in other parts of Scripture. Uh, Paul's letter, basically the main part of the letter ends in verse 13 where he was talking about the gospel and talking about how we are to live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. We're saved by faith. We live by faith. And what he shares in verses 14 and following are really some personal notes about why he wrote, about his plans for the future, and he sends his greetings in chapter 16 
to specific people. But I believe that there are still things that we can learn from Paul's example in this that can help us to live our life for God's glory too. If we are going to live a life that is pleasing to God and that's right where we need to be, number one, we need a clear sense of purpose. We need to understand who we are, why we were made, and why we are here. Those basic kind of life questions. And in verses 14 and 16, what we see about Paul is that Paul knew his calling. In verse 16, he tells us that he was called by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And he likened his work to that of a priest who is bringing an offering to God. And in Paul's mind, there is this picture of one day he's going to be before the famous seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. And what will he give to Christ as an offering? It is the Gentiles. It's the labor, the fruit of his ministry of bringing others into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I think about that. I mean, what will be our offering to God on that day? What will it be that we will bring to Christ as a labor of love where we have joined with Him in His work and we bring that and we lay that at the feet of Jesus and say, Jesus, here's my gift to you. When Paul looked at the church in Rome, he affirmed them in their faith. He tells the Roman believers that he has written to them strongly on some points and he doesn't want them to misunderstand that. That's part of his duty as an apostle. He wanted to make sure that they understood the gospel clearly, that what they were preaching and teaching was accurate. But look at how he affirms them. There are three things that he says about them in verse 14. He tells them that they are, uh, first of all, full of goodness. You know, he looked at their life and they were evidencing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They were full of goodness where God was at work in their church and in their heart. They were complete in knowledge. They were a people that were growing in the Scriptures and their understanding of God. And they were competent to instruct. They were able to teach one another. He knew that. You know, this was a solid church. This was a church that was doing the things that God wanted them to do. I mean, this is a very high compliment that Paul is giving to these believers. But even the best of churches face challenges, just like we do. And there will be issues that will come up from time to time where we need God's wisdom and we need to search the Scriptures together. And Paul was simply fulfilling his calling as an apostle to minister to these believers. Well, what is our calling? What is it that God wants you to do or me to do with our life? I love this quote from Neil Strait who says that every life should have a purpose to which it can give the energies of its mind and the enthusiasms of its heart. The life without a purpose will be prey to the perverted ways waiting for the uncommitted life. And the person who lacks a sense of direction, who's just kind of drifting, that's not a good place to be. We usually end up in trouble when we're doing those kind of things. But the life that has a clear sense of purpose and direction is a life that can be lived for God's glory. God has a plan for our life. And so does Satan, if you will. In John 10.10, Jesus said that the thief, that is Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Uh, His plan for your life is basically to ruin it, 
to bring misery and heartache or to keep you from walking with God as best as he can. And so he uses lures and enticements to try to get people to follow the way of the world. And Jesus comes along and he says, I came that you might have life, eternal life, and that you might have it to the full, starting here and now. And when Jesus talks about a life that is full, He's talking about a life that is meaningful, a life of purpose and direction. He's not talking about a life of prosperity in terms of come to Christ and you'll be rich and prosperous. He's not promising a life that will be free of pain or sorrow. Jesus Himself even suffered. No, but He's talking about a life that can be lived for the fullest for God that is right on in terms of what God wants for each one of us. And how do we find that? Well, in our study in the book of Romans, we have learned what it is that God wants us to do. You can go again to a chapter like Romans 12 that is so instructive on this. And Romans 12 again talks about we are to offer ourselves to God. We're to come to Him and say, Lord, here I am, use me. Would you guide me and direct me? Take my gifts, my abilities, my time, my talents, my treasure, all that I have, here I am, I want to live for you. And He will guide and direct. He calls us in that chapter to use our gifts for His glory. Whether those gifts be gifts of leadership or showing mercy or teaching or helping, or whatever our gifts may be, they can be used for the kingdom. And then He talks about living out our faith, loving one another, helping one another, growing together in Christ, not... Uh, retaliating when we feel like we are victims or an enemy has harmed us, but instead giving that to God and trusting Him. And we can do all of those things, whatever our vocation is. doesn't matter whether we are a teacher or a doctor or we're a businessman or a woman or a clerk or a waitress or waiter or whatever. We can do those things for the glory of God. Trust Him to lead you and He will direct your steps. So we need to understand our purpose if we are going to live life fully. Secondly, we need a firm reliance upon God in all things. We see Paul's testimony of that in verses 17 through 22. Paul gave God glory for the work that Christ had done through him. He didn't feel like these accomplishments were something that he had done in his own strength. He said, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God, and I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Paul was a part of it. He was being obedient. He was using his gifts, and he was a guy who strategized and planned and thought about what he should be doing each day. But he knew that any accomplishments, any fruit, any service... Any success he had achieved in ministry was only by God's grace and power and not his own. And Paul writes that from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Now you can think of Jerusalem at one end of the Mediterranean. Illyricum is actually north and west of Greece as you go toward Italy. So Paul had traveled all the way through, you know, what would be like Syria and Turkey and making his way over through Greece toward Rome, but he had not yet come there. But that distance from Jerusalem to Illyricum was about 1,400 miles in sandals. 
You know, it'd be like going from here to Boston, say, and walking the whole way and preaching the gospel in all of the cities and places where you go all along the way. Paul doesn't tell us how many churches he started. We have a few here in the Scriptures because uh, we've got these letters that were written to certain churches, but they weren't the only churches that were started. And Paul doesn't tell us how many converts he had or how much money he had raised for support. None of those details are there. I mean, we don't know all that God did through him, but we do know this, that God used him mightily to turn a world upside down. Pastor Kent Hughes writes about Paul. He said, Paul's life is a cause for amazement and reflection. In the context of the times in which he lived, his situation appeared absurd. On one side there was Rome, the metropolis of the world, the heart of the empire, insufferably proud on her seven hills, shaking the earth with the march of her fabled legions. Rome ruled the world. I mean, that's where the power and the authority was, you would think. And on the other side was this little Jew with scarred face and feeble body, ostensibly impotent amidst such power, armed only with something he called the good news of the gospel. And yet he changed the history of Rome, Western civilization, and indeed our own lives. It is amazing what God can do through the life of someone who is fully devoted to Him. Even non-believers look at the life of Paul and they are amazed and they say, here was someone who really was a revolutionary. But Paul would say, I am nothing. God is everything. You know, I think about that when I look at uh, the people that God calls into ministry and how He uses us in our weakness to glorify himself. I think of somebody like Carrie Gustafson, who God has called out from our church, who is small in stature. You know, when she comes and she does a little mission report, she has to stand to the side of the pulpit here because it's kind of hard to see over it. Small in stature, but great in faith. And doing a great work for God in terms of Bible translation to bring the Scriptures to people who have never had the Word of God in their language before. That is a marvelous thing of how God can use ordinary people like you and me to accomplish His work. If we're going to join with God in His work in terms of what He is doing around the world, then we need to begin by giving ourselves fully to Him. We need to understand our purpose, our calling. But one of the other things that we need that we see in Paul is also a visionary faith and what I would call a flexible plan. God may put a dream on your heart, a dream to do something for Him. And as you begin to plan and think about how that can unfold, sometimes He changes that plan. He may still accomplish the dream or redirect in some of the ways that He does it, but we just need to trust Him and hold on to Him. When I look at Paul's life, he had both this great faith and he had a plan. His vision was to preach the gospel to those who had never heard about Jesus before to go where no one had gone before him. And Paul shared with the Roman church here his future plans as he thought about his ministry. Listen to what he writes in verses 23 and following. He says, But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, 
from Jerusalem to Illyricum. And since I have been longing for many years to see you, I I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there, after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the, shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. So here's his plan. He wants to go to Spain. He wants to, again, go to another region that is yet to hear the gospel. And he feels like this is fertile soil. On the way, I want to stop by and I want to see you in Rome. Paul did not start the church in Rome. They didn't need to hear the gospel. But he wanted to minister with them. And he hoped that they would financially and prayerfully support him on the next leg of his journey to Spain. In the meantime, he was going to go to Jerusalem. He had been collecting an offering among the Gentiles to assist those that were living in poverty, fellow believers in Jerusalem and Judea. And I think just as a side comment on that, I mean, sometimes we think about Paul who is so concerned about the task and moving on, and we wonder, you know, did Paul, you know, uh, what was his relationship like with people? Paul cared deeply about people. And his concern to take time out of what he was doing to bring this gift to Jerusalem shows that. He was concerned about the brothers and sisters there. Benevolence was important to him. He cared about this aspect of his work. And he also prayed and hoped that this would be a unifying factor in the church among Jewish believers and Gentile believers who were standing together. But in all of his plans, Paul was flexible. We see that on other occasions where he had planned to go into Asia on one occasion and God gave him a vision and he saw a man in Macedonia calling to him. And so he changed directions and he went the other direction in obedience to Christ in terms of where he was serving and would preach the gospel. And I think that's the way we need to be with our plans, whether it's plans for our life or plans for a project that we are working on. We need to be open for God to redirect us. So what are your dreams and ambitions? What would you hope to accomplish with your life? What do you hope to do in terms of service for the kingdom? Oswald Sanders writes that there is an ambition that is self-seeking and that is wrong. But there is an ambition which has as its center the glory of God and the welfare of the church that is not only legitimate, it is positively praiseworthy. You know, if all we are living for in this life is self and our dreams and ambitions and we don't care, you know, what we do, we're going to climb this ladder of success, doesn't matter who we climb over, that's wrong. That is just prideful. That's just, that's sin. But if we have at our heart this desire to glorify God and to say, Lord Jesus, I want to honor you. 
wherever you have placed me, whatever my calling, my work is, I want to do it for the glory of God and I want to be a witness for Christ. And I ask you to use me where I am to the fullest. That is praiseworthy. I think of a a friend that Gil and I know and some of you also know in our church. His name is Howie Dahl and he's from the Fargo-Moorhead area. Last year he received the Alumni Award from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He's a businessman, but he took two years of his life early on to go into seminary, and he got a master's degree out of that. And he's just a tremendous example of a Christian who's wedded together his faith in Christ and his approach to business, if you will. He wanted to start a company that would honor God in terms of the way that it treats employees fairly, keeping them informed. He has regular meetings with all of his employees. He'll, you know, he wants to be fair in terms of what he's paying them. He wants to be fair in terms of their participation in the company and input and all of those things. And he is in manufacturing. He grew up in a family that was involved in farm implement manufacturing, and so he understood that business. And he asked God, as he thought about his future plans and vision that God was putting on his heart, he wanted to uh, manufacture small tractors and farm equipment that could be used in places like Eastern Europe, the former Soviet Union. And it began at a time before those parts of the world were really opened up to believers to go to. Well, as he went along the way, it turned out to not be practical to manufacture a small tractor. Others would do that. But instead, he began to focus on implements that are involved in the seeding and harvesting of crops and sugar beets and things like that. And what happened is he developed this equipment. God honored that. And he became very good at what they were doing in this company. And doors opened in Eastern Europe. In fact, in the years that followed, he sold over $150 million worth of equipment to those countries. And he's had the opportunity to meet with ambassadors from those countries or presidents. Many of the people who worked for him in kind of the front lines and sales were believers who had a reason now to be there and an opportunity to minister for Jesus Christ in parts of the world that once were closed to Christians. It's amazing how God has used his gifts and his visions and directed him and brought all of that together in a way that really honors and glorifies God. If you're in business, how do you see your work? Do you see it as an opportunity to honor Christ and say, you know what, I want to run my company in such a way that those who are working for me can see Jesus Christ in the way that I treat them in the way that we interact with each other and the things that we do. If you're an employee and you think about the relationships that you have with others or you think about your relationship to your boss, do you treat him with respect and honor him and do your work as unto the Lord? If you're involved in our community, you know, and you see needs that come up where there's an opportunity to serve, do you look for ways that you could be a witness for Christ? It was kind of fun this last week. A number of us from our church um, just went over to the primary school and we were involved in painting. With the budget cuts that are going on, our school district can't afford some of the custodial hours for cleaning and painting that they normally do in the summer. And here was an opportunity we heard about. And a number of us went over to help freshen up 
the hallways and do some painting. And there'll be continuing opportunities like that this summer. Well, that was kind of a neat thing to do as a way that we as a church can minister to others in our community. Whether it is local or whether it's involved in you know, missions or a mission trip that takes you overseas, there are many different ways that we can serve. It's simply a matter of asking God, where could you use me? Dream dreams and trust God to lead you. And that's why Paul, when we come to this last point, understood his need for prayer. And we need that. We need powerful, earnest prayer to support and direct everything that we do. In verses 30 to 33, Paul said, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Paul prayed and he asked others to pray for him to join in this struggle. I mean, he knew that there was a spiritual battle. He knew the struggles. He knew that going back to Jerusalem was dangerous because there were men there who wanted to see him dead. And he asked for prayer. Pray that God will protect me. Paul did not have a martyr complex where he was wanting to go there to die. Paul wanted to continue in fruitful service for the Lord. But he prayed, and he was obedient to whatever it was that God was asking him to do. God has called all of us to join with him in his great work. And our mission as a church is given in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. That work starts here and now. Right here in us, it starts in our community and expands to our Judea and Samaria and literally to the ends of the earth. And some of us, God's going to call all our life to be right here in this community, to be a witness for Jesus Christ, to be a laborer here and to pray and to give and to serve and to do everything that we can to impact our world from this location. Others, God's going to call to serve in other parts of our world. He may even call you to serve Him full-time in ministry or in missions. How do we find out where it is that we are to serve? We pray. We pray. And we join in the work by supporting others in prayer. And we think of those that God has called out and we pray for them faithfully and diligently. We think about our neighborhood and people who come to know Christ or people that we've had the opportunity to build relationships with and we pray for them. Because only God can change a heart. Only God can draw someone to Christ. That's why I asked you and why we prayed this morning for Vacation Bible School this week. What a great opportunity with maybe 200, 250 children that will be here this week to minister to them. But nothing will be accomplished apart from powerful, earnest prayer that lifts all of this up before His throne of grace. So what's your part in what God is doing around the world? God has a plan for your life and mine. But He doesn't reveal that to those that are indifferent 
or uninterested in following him. The scripture says that the Lord confides in those who fear him. The Lord confides in those who want to do his will. Who seek him with all their heart. Will you join with him to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth? And to do your part in serving him. I want to close with prayer this morning. We're going to pray for a couple specific things. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity just quietly in your own heart to ask God to speak to you. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the work that you have called us to as a church, it is a joy to participate in supporting and joining with believers in other parts of the world. And you've given us that opportunity in some closed access countries to help in beginning a church planting movement. And we pray that you would bless and multiply those efforts. You've given us the opportunity to participate in some Bible translation projects and we pray that you would bring your word, the scriptures, to people that have never had that in their own language before. But you've also given us opportunities to work and serve in our community. And again, Lord, we lift up the ministry of Vacation Bible School this week. We lift up the opportunity to serve in our schools or to participate in projects in our community. We pray for our missionaries today and for those of our students that will be going on the Mexico mission trip, that you would use them and honor them and touch hearts. But Lord, we also come before you and we ask, what is my role? What is it that you want me to do? How can I join in your work? Through prayer, through giving, through serving, through going where you may call. Would you help me to hear your voice and know what that is for me? I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.